That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. The Bob Seska Show. Bob Seska. Ladies and gentlemen, take my advice. Pull down your pants and slide on the ice. The Bob Seska Show. From our nation's capital, it is Wednesday, March 9, 2022, and this is the interview edition of the Bob Seska Show on the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Bob. Hello, Bob. Hello, day 415 of the Biden-Harris administration, 242 days until the 22 midterms. I'm on Instagram, the Bob Seska, Twitter, Bob Seska underscore go. Follow me, please. All right, we're talking green energy today with Lisa Dix, the New York director of the Building Decarbonization Coalition. Lisa's kind of a big deal. She's kind of a rock star. When she was the senior campaign manager of the Sierra Club's Beyond Coal campaign, she helped to end the use of coal-fired power plants in all of New York State. That's a big deal. In fact, Lisa has a lot of great news on the green energy front about New York and its transition to 100% renewable energy within the next couple of decades with some major accomplishments coming this year. Stick around for more about all that. You can follow the Building Decarbonization Coalition on Twitter at BuildingDecarb. Links in the description as usual. Meantime, if you like what we hear today, think about signing up for our bonus content at bobseskashow.com. Okay, this is Lisa Dix talking about literally saving the world. Bob Seska plays more music. You know, one of the things that always seemed like a no-brainer to me, Lisa, was getting solar panels on the roof of every building that's constructed. You fly over in an airplane and you look down, especially as you're you know, pulling into an airport or whatever, and you see all this wasted space that could be creating clean energy. But it seems like such an uphill battle. I mean, even today, how is the uh, Building Decarbonization Coalition breaking through all the noise and apathy to actually make something like that happen? The Building Decarbonization Coalition is really focused on decarbonizing New York buildings. And why, while solar is a really important part of making New York's electric grid and the nation's electric grid mm-hmm. renewable, um, what we're taught, what the Building Decarbonization Coalition is focused on is the decarbonizing all of the emissions that are. Um, part of the the built environment, right? Mm -hmm. So um, does that make sense, Bob? So it's not necessarily like, uh, you know, solar panels. It's about the gas and oil in our heating systems, Mm 
um, in our appliances, in um, what is called embodied carbon, so in insulation. And in New York, for example, buildings are the highest carbon emitter in the state. They wow. make up 32 of the state, uh, 32% of the state's overall carbon emissions. Mm-hmm. Um, the building sector is, is the largest emitter. And really what the, the project here is, is renewable heating and cooling solutions in our built environment and making sure that we are going to be able to have the incentives and the political will to be able to scale the technologies needed that's going to decarbonize our built environment. So what does that mean in terms of technology? Uh, What are we introducing into these buildings that reduces the need for carbon-based heating, electricity, uh, cooling, and so on? So the technology is called a heat pump. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's two kinds of heat pumps. There's air source heat pumps and ground source heat pumps. And ground source heat pumps use a network of underground pipes that extract the heat from the earth. Um, and air source heat pumps use outdoor, it's an outdoor unit, and mm-hmm. it's it, it extracts heat from the air. And... Wow. The majority of the emissions come from the way that people heat their homes. Mm-hmm. Um, just for context, New York has 6 million buildings. Mm-hmm. That's about 7.4 million households. Yeah. So the scale and the, ta- you know, the task at hand is enormous. And it's really getting all of those buildings in New York to carbon neutral. Um, so that's going to be uh, several different kinds of strategies. It's going to be um, accelerating the adoption of heat pumps um, in buildings. Um, it's going to be accelerating geothermal systems. Um, they can be residential systems, but really geothermal systems can also be at a municipal level, for example, mm-hmm. um, or at a neighborhood level. Um, it's going to be eventually... Um, phasing out all gas appliances in our homes. Um, so that would be, you know, gas stoves um, and, you know, any other big appliances that use fossil fuels. And so what do you replace? Like say, for example, you have a gas stove. What do you replace it with that is carbon neutral? Um, in terms of stoves, uh, there's uh, electric stoves or induction stoves. Um, Because the strategy really that most states, um, including New York, are taking to reduce our overall emissions in the building sector is electrification. And so it's basically moving off of gas, oil, you know, fossil fuels um, into electricity. And right now, New York has scaled, um, you know, you started off talking about solar, for example, um, scaling renewable energy. So New York, by 2040, is going to be 100%. uh, Their electricity is going to be sourced 100% from renewable energy. Wow. So what happens is that as we start scaling these technologies to electrify our homes and our buildings, those emissions 
are no longer fossil fuel emissions because right. it, it, they're electrified um, and they're using, you know, power from the electric grid, which is going to be renewable. I see. And so is that also what's going to be powering the heat pumps? Because it seems like there would require some form of, of power to make the heat pumps go, right? I mean, so it was yes. that... It heat would, pumps are electric. Okay, so that would be coming from the electricity grid, which is going to be fully renewably powered by 2040, you said. In New York, yeah. So Wonderful. New York has a law, the climate law. It's called the Climate Leadership and Community Protection Act. Mm-hmm. And it has an actual mandate. So by 2030, 70% of New York's electricity will be renewable. And by 2040, 100%. That's incredible. So as soon as, you know, so, so as we're scaling up on these, you know, renewable electric heat, heating and cooling options, Mm -hmm. um, you know, you're, we're becoming carbon neutral because the electricity grid is going to be renewable. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And in terms of the overall cost of things like heat pumps, I mean, how does that compare to, you know, your standard HVAC system, uh, you know, installing that in a residential building and versus the, the cost of installing a heat pump? So the heat pump technology, is that going to be uh, overall more expensive or in the long run, it kind of pays for itself? Is that the idea? Yes. And, you know, it's it's like all new technology. Right. Mm-hmm. So right now, the really interesting thing is, you know, wind and solar are cheaper than fossil fuels. And that mm-hmm. is because of years of policies at the state and federal level that has incentivized scaling renewable energy. And, you know, this this happened for the gas industry you know, a while ago, this happened for the coal industry. And, um, you know, now prices, you know, are at par for renewable energy, for solar, wind, um, as they are with gas. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be the same as is true um, with renewable heating technologies. So right now, they are more expensive. Yeah. However, the governor of New York Governor Hochul is really putting the marker down um, and trying to show leadership here in the state by really increasing the incentives and the targets, which is going to accelerate the market, which brings down costs over time. So, for example, she has a commitment Right now, um, she just made this commitment in her state of the state um, in 2022 that New York is going to have a target to electrify um, 2 million homes in New York. And this is about the pace that where we need to be getting to get to the overall mandates in New York's climate law to get an 85% greenhouse gas reduction across the economy by 2050. And this really translates to New York needs to adopt 200,000 heat pumps, adopt and install 200,000 heat pumps per year Uh to be able to hit the climate targets for the building sector in time. And so she has really, really trying to advance the scale through her commitments, through incentives, 
and through certain policies. Um, so for example, one of the most important things that, that um, she has signaled that she wants to do this year is that she wants to stop gas expansion. Mm-hmm. And right when you think about it, every time we build a new building that is not all electric, we're digging the hole deeper. Yeah. Same goes for every time we connect a new customer to the gas distribution system, mm-hmm. which is you know the pipeline system that provides gas heat to gas customers across the nation. And so really stopping the digging the hole is really the first step, right? Yeah. We cannot build new buildings anymore mm-hmm. that are not electric. Right. And she has that proposal on the table. And that, when we're talking about costs, there's there's no there's not a giant cost differential whatsoever, you know, in terms of of that. Mm-hmm. So that you know, so that is that's you know step number one, mm-hmm. right? Um, right. and and then in terms of the the larger costs, like the the other piece is the gas distribution system, where, um. Right now, you know, the utilities in New York are hooking up hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of customers a week to the gas distribution system. So if we, and, and they actually subsidize it, all, all gas customers in New York pay for hooking up new customers, mm-hmm. which is a major handout to the gas industry. And it's a major expansion of the gas system. So she's proposing to eliminate the subsidies that hook up uh, gas customers to the gas distribution system for free. Yeah, She's putting down the marker to say, we need to stop putting fossil fuel um, heating in new buildings. And, you know, those, those are actually cost savings mm-hmm. over the long term. And then you've got to think about the cost of maintaining and expanding the gas distribution system. These are large costs. These are billions of dollars Mm -hmm. that all taxpayers, all New Yorkers are paying every single day, every single year, billions. And as we start to transition off the gas distribution system, um, it's, it's going to also um, lower costs over time for maintaining that system. Mm-hmm. And gas, as we're seeing internationally right now, is really subject to price volatility. Oh, yes. And <laughs> that's an understatement. Subject, yeah. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. And so it's subject to all kinds of market conditions that, you know, renewables, there's no fuel costs nope. with renewables. And there's no, price gouging or there's no um you know just you know real uncertainty due to all kinds of you know global market conditions and so we're actually protecting you know customers you know utility customers over the long haul by really stopping our addiction to fossil fuels and really electrifying 
our homes and our buildings because our customers over the long term, New Yorkers are not going to have to pay for um, all the costs associated with price spikes and volatility to uh, the to to gas and oil. Big question I have is we often think of uh, California, for example, and their emissions standards kind of setting the bar for the rest of the country because uh, auto manufacturers, if they want to sell in California, which is a gigantic population of car owners or potential car owners. They have to make sure that their cars are that way. They can't make, uh, you know, fuel-efficient cars just for California. They should make them for the entire country. And so the rest of the country follows. Um, is What's happening in New York, is that a similar idea that once New York goes carbon neutral, once New York is green, the rest of the country could follow? I mean, how do we get this done in other states where they still think the climate crisis is a hoax and, and so on? You know, nationally, we need first movers. Mm -hmm. And California and New York are definitely first movers. Yeah. And if we're able to succeed in states like California and New York, which is, you know, have giant economies, some bigger than, you know, economies bigger than countries in Europe, um, it is a real, you know, indication that we that there is going to be some big change. And so for, you know, New York has made a lot of strides here, you know, on, you know, electric vehicles, for example, um, the governor just signed a bill last fall that bans gas vehicles after 2035 from wow. sale in yeah. New York. Mm. Um, and, you know, California is on a similar track. There are several other states that are really making a lot of progress in scaling up renewable energy, decarbonizing their electric grids, um, incentivizing EVs, which now we see this as one of the most important things we have to do in terms of really getting off oil as a nation. Um, and it's going to... Um, you know, if, if we are successful in states like New York and others that are really leading the way, um, you know, the majority of you, the U.S. economy, uh, that's the majority of the U.S. economy. This is something I'm always grappling with, which is how do we make this happen with the, as I said at the top of our conversation, Lisa, with the abundance of apathy that's out there? Uh, and, and I always wonder whether this needs to be an effort that is driven on the supply side versus the consumer side. If we left it all to consumers to pick and choose uh, between, you know, natural gas or clean energy, oftentimes they'll go with the tried and true, you know, gas guzzling cars and so on, rather than the fuel efficient cars, um, just because they're bigger and their status symbol and all the rest of it. Same with their houses and so on. So does this have to be driven on the industrial level versus the consumer level where industry is basically saying, OK, well, you know what? If you want to own a car, it's going to have to be a fuel efficient car. It's going to have to be an electric car. It's going to have to be a hybrid. Uh, or if you want to own a home, it's going to have to have a heat pump installed rather than natural gas heat or natural gas uh, uh, hot water. Um, is that the drive? Is that how this is all going to happen on the industrial side versus the consumer side? Well, it's got to be a two-pronged strategy. Yeah. So it's there's got to be um, definite um, mandates that end fossil fuels, mm -hmm. right? Right. right. Um, so that there that it provides that long-term certainty 
um, you know, for the market. So for example, if there is a ban in 2035 in New York, there's going to be a huge um, increase in electric vehicles in the market in New York. Then it also has to happen on the incentive side. Yeah. So in, in order to levelize costs, there has to be robust policies in place that are going to help levelize costs um, until there is that cost parity to be able to then um, have consumers be able to make those choices. Right. So and and it's it's been shown time and time again that 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 actually happens with robust policies in place that are um, you know, providing the incentives necessary with that backstop of targets and, you know, dates certain. Mm-hmm. We've seen time and time again, costs go down and scale in clean alternatives increase. Is there any chance that current gas prices, uh, you know, obviously being a big uh, point of discussion in the news, point of discussion and debate, and the impact of the war in Ukraine, is that going to change some minds seeing, you know, $5 a gallon for gas? Is that going to turn people around and say, hey, you know what, instead of complaining about this on Twitter, why don't I just trade this gas guzzler in for a, a more fuel efficient vehicle? Is this going to be uh, something that's going to push people closer to that? Or is this just an ongoing matter of uh, just one small move after another, picking up a few people here, changing the law there, and slowly starting to push back against the climate crisis. Well, right now, you know, we already see, you know, the president and the White House talking about a Marshall Plan for heat pumps, um, mm-hmm. for example, right? And, you know, basically, uh, you know, no disrespect, you know, to the White House, But for example, Europe has widespread adoption of heat pumps. You know, last year they sold 1.6 million heat pumps. Um, 60% of Norwegians um, use heat pumps as primary, you know, heating sources in their homes. Japan, for example, 90% of Japanese households use heat pumps. And so just to take this example, you know, what is needed is the actual policies in place that are going to drive that, um, that are going to actually drive um, the policies both at the federal and state level to be, to make sure that, that we're going to be able to scale that technology to meet the crisis Mm -hmm. at hand. But unless we really do this and we do it now, we're going to keep having these conversations every year, right? Or mm-hmm. every other year, because we're all going to be, you know, subject to the volatility of oil and gas prices over time, unless we as a nation make those commitments that need to happen at the federal level and at the state level to make sure that we are spending the resources and putting the policy pathways in place to wean off of our fossil fuel addiction. Why is the United States so far behind Europe and Japan? Is it our politics or our culture or a combination of our politics and our culture uh, driving this 
frustrating resistance. Uh, and in fact, I keep using the word apathy, and I'll just explain what I mean by apathy. Here's a, an example for you, Lisa, and I'm sure you've run face first into this problem yourself. Every time I write about the climate crisis, <laughs> you know, it's like crickets chirping. I see tumbleweeds blowing across whatever article it is that I've written. I just think people generally are like, all right, we get it. I don't want to hear any more about this. It's like the don't look up thing. We'd rather not look up and pretend that it's not there and hope it goes away than have to confront it face first and tackle this problem as scary as it might be. So is that kind of what's driving our uh, slow to adopt posture here in the United States versus Europe and Japan? Or is there something else that's going on? I wish I could answer that question because that would make my job a lot easier. <laughs> I understand. But, I just, <laughs> but, you know, and I agree that we do have a don't look up phenomenon mm -hmm. in this country. That, that movie was brilliant. Yeah. Um, and I think that it was really pointed into the for the moment that we're dealing with. You mm -hmm. know, climate scientists have been, you know, first trying to break through and then they've been screaming and here we are and it doesn't seem like anyone is paying attention yeah i think the, the I, I this is this is going to be huge we're already seeing the impacts of the climate crisis now um some of them are are probably going to be you know irreversible and we really do need leaders to stand up and have a backbone and, you know, we need folks to create the political will to hold our leaders accountable to make this change happen. But change is really hard. And I feel like we're always in this discussion that is completely circular, which is, oh, it costs too much. Right. But we're not having the full cost conversation. Mm -hmm. You know, whenever we talk about like, wow, a heat pump is kind of expensive. We're not talking about all of the money that the federal government and the states are spending to subsidize the fossil fuel industry. Right. Those are huge costs that everybody pays for mm -hmm. in our tax dollars and in, in our utility bills. And we don't ever talk about those costs. We don't talk about the costs of climate catastrophe, which seems to be happening year after year in every state, from yep. wildfires to floods to tornadoes. Mm -hmm. and, and it just keeps happening and it's not going to abate. And then we talk about, oh, well, what about the jobs, right? <laughs> and, you know, there are, for example, in, you know, the building sector in just in New York, there's the potential to create 121,000 new jobs. Yeah. And that is a lot of jobs, but it seems like there are some interests mm -hmm. that continue to say, well, this is so painful. Some people are going to lose their jobs instead of really stepping up to the plate and saying there are going to be people and just being honest, there are going to be people that are going to lose their jobs and it's up to the state and to figure out how we do this transition in a way that is going to be able to take workers in certain sectors and transform our workforce into another, you know, into another sector. Right. And, and those are really hard things. 
because they need multiple state players working together, multiple federal entities working together. And that, you know, if, if there's this continual backlash, like, oh, we're going to lose our job, you know, it's hard for politicians to take vote a vote to make the change that right. we actually need. And, you know, this is the dynamic right now, you know, in front of the New York State Legislature. The governor has an amazing plan um, on buildings that is really going to move the ball forward. Um, it might not go far enough, you know, to completely get to zero tomorrow, but it really is sensible. It's stopping the gas expansion. And there is so much pushback to, to that where, you know, the gas industry is spending millions to defeat just stopping digging the hole. Um, and there's all kinds of interests that are continually outspending and, you know, out, uh, you know, paying politicians, you know, to not make any kinds of advances. And so until people are really, you know, there's, we've, we've got to have leaders that are going to stand up to the, to, and, and, and really make the right decisions to make the changes that we need. And there are a ton of people out there that every day are working to make these changes and to really solve these hard problems that are gonna help us be able to adapt to climate change. I'm so glad you brought the conversation back to Governor Hochul and New York, Lisa, because this is something that may just happen in the very, very near term, right? Like her fiscal year 2023 budget includes uh, decarbonizing residential buildings by, is it 2027? Is it that soon? What it all she is doing, and see, this is a huge misconception, you know, and all of the, you know, the industry dollars are going to defeat this. But really all she is saying, that beginning, you know, in 2024 and by 2027, there will be no fossil fuels in new, new construction. We're talking two years from now. Mm -hmm. So, you know, architects and builders and the workforce can prepare. That's all we're talking. I mean, this is how integrated the fossil fuel industry is into our politics yeah that we can't even get started in stopping digging the hole that's what this legislative some of the governor's agenda is about it's stopping to subsidize the expansion of the gas distribution system by saying well ratepayers no longer are going to pay to for pipelines to hook up any gas customer that wants gas to the gas distribution system because we have to stop digging the hole and of course there's huge pushback um from some of the utilities some mm -hmm. of the fossil fuel interests and even some labor unions that really are going to benefit a lot from the governor's proposal in terms of union jobs for electrification, in le electrification, in some of her proposals to electrify schools, which that's another one of her proposals, um, to electrify a thousand schools, you know, to get to a target of two million all electric homes by two, 2030. And so there's gonna be a ton of job creation that the governor is putting forward, including union jobs. 
But again, the fossil fuel industry is creating a panic and a scare to stop progress two years from now. Okay, I got to pause here for just one second to tell you about Lightstream. You know, we hear a lot about refinancing our credit card debt, but I think we like to tune it out. I know when I was bogged down with, God, a huge amount of business debt years ago, I wanted to ignore the problem and hope it would just poof, disappear. But don't worry, you're not alone, and you don't have to navigate the credit card consolidation process by yourself. Lightstream has got a helping hand just for you. So did you know that refinancing your credit card balances can lower your interest rate and save you money? And you don't have to be a financial expert to do it. All you got to do is go to Lightstream. You can get a fixed rate credit card consolidation loan from Lightstream, and you can save thousands in interest. Rates start at 4.98% APR with auto pay and excellent credit. That's lower than the average credit card interest rate of over 19% APR. You can get a loan from $5,000 to $100,000, and there are absolutely no fees. The application process This is 100% online, and you can even get your money in your bank account as soon as the day you apply. It's incredible. Lightstream believes that people with good credit deserve a better loan experience, and that's exactly what they're going to deliver. And just for my listeners, just for you listening right now, apply to get a special interest rate discount and save even more. And the only way to get this discount is to go to lightstream.com slash seska. That's L-I-G-H-T-S-T-R-E-A-M dot com slash C-E-S-C-A. I got a link in the description for you under this episode at bobseska.com. Subject to credit approval, rates range from 4.98% APR to 19.99% APR and include a 0.50 auto pay discount. Lowest rate requires excellent credit. Terms and conditions apply and offers are subject to change without notice. Visit lightstream.com slash seska for more information. Thank you. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Why wouldn't they just go and invest in green energy, the fossil fuel sector? Why don't, they're spending a fortune on lobbying against green energy. Why don't they reinvest that money instead on creating uh, new technology themselves or investing in existing technology, expanding existing technology, and getting on board with this rather than trying to hold it back, knowing full well what the consequences are if they succeed? That is a really great question. And I think that is one of the keys to success here. Mm -hmm. Um, And we are seeing some of this happening. So I can give you a a really, you know, quick example of a real world situation in New York with offshore wind. Mm -hmm. Um, So when, you know, there about seven years ago, there were many campaigns in New York to scale offshore wind to be able to uh, decarbonize our electric grid. And we knew in New York that offshore wind was a critical component to getting to the target that we have now, right? To make sure that New York is sourcing 70% um, of or New York's uh, electric grid would be renewable, um, 70% by 2030. So offshore wind was a key, key piece of this. And it's the same 
same arguments. I almost feel like it's, you know, just Groundhog Day <laughs> in, in my work on heat pumps right now and, mm-hmm. and um, renewable heat um, and decarbonizing our buildings in New York. Because the same proponents, you know, the fossil fuel industry, um, you know, the same arguments of the, you know, exorbitant costs, the same critiques that this technology was infeasible, even though Europe had 20 gigawatts of offshore wind in, you know, its pipeline, and they were building offshore wind farms, you know, for 20 years Mm -hmm. before the U.S. even started talking about it. And and what happened was um, New York State, um, after many years, made a lot of really bold commitments to scaling offshore wind. And labor unions got very involved because there were a lot of amazing, you know, labor union jobs with offshore wind. And what the, the parallel here is, is that once the state made those commitments, um, huge, huge commitments, they're the largest in the nation, nine gigawatts of offshore wind by 2035. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's gonna be a huge component of New York's um, renewable energy future and It's going to be one of the most important technologies that's going to help decarbonize New York's electric grid. And the pushback was all the same. And then, lo and behold, some of the biggest actors after dragging their feet and trying to kill it, people like Shell, for example, and BP and others are now actually really investing in offshore wind and really diversifying their portfolios, which they're is so smart. Off, yeah, that's right. And, no and they're moving yeah. off of oil, mm-hmm. and they're they're you know. And so this is actually <clears throat> part of the solution that fossil fuel companies really begin now to start diversifying their portfolios and making major investments in um, all kinds of renewable technologies because that is the future. I'll give you an example. One of the offshore wind developers in New York that won a bid to build an offshore wind farm, um, Statoil, they were heavily invested in the tar sands, for example. (laughs) They really started to clean up their portfolio, and then they completely divested in the tar sands. So there are really great real-world examples of how um, states um, incentivizing clean renewable technologies is really also helping um, you know industry players that are heavily invested in fossil fuels to be able to diversify their portfolios and sometimes just get out of the fossil fuel business altogether. You know, opponents of uh, wind farms we'll go back to uh, wind turbines here for a second. Um, opponents often complain about the turbines being eyesores. Seems like a really like bottom of the barrel excuse for opposing wind farms. Oh, they just they look ugly. It seems like they're grasping at straws when they're coming up with arguments like that. The former president said their wind farms kill birds and cause cancer. I mean, to me, this is indicative that they don't really have any serious arguments against wind energy. So why do these talking points continue to resonate anyway? Uh, it's staggering to me. 
what I always think of when I hear these arguments is, have you ever seen a coal plant, you know, <laughs> um, pumping yeah, out yeah, all yeah. the mercury, right. and, you know, yeah. nasty, you know, nasty pollution. And, and it's, it's kind of shocking to me because, mm-hmm. you know, those, that, that's what, I mean, you know, that's, that's the alternative. In fact, uh, I don't know if you've ever been to Centralia in Pennsylvania. That's the small town that was decimated by a coal mine fire underneath the town, which continues to burn. Now, I think it's been 50 years that that mine has been on fire. They've had to uh, evacuate the town and so on, because there were buildings that were just collapsing, uh, you know, homes and so on. And if you go to Centralia now, it's like a ghost town, but up on the ridgeline above the town, there's an entire bank of wind farms. I can't even imagine pulling into Centralia just to see what it looks like and see the devastation that was caused by a coal mine and then go, oh, look at those wind turbines. What an eyesore. <laughs> this is, I, I, I cannot wrap my head around that nonsense. I mean, the last thing I'm thinking when I see a wind turbine, I mean, besides, oh, <laughs> They, they kill a lot of birds, which is nonsense, too. The last thing I think of is, uh, oh, my God, what an eyesore. How ugly. Especially when I was standing there in the middle of Centralia and the devastation of that. Well, more birds are killed by hitting into buildings in New York City <laughs> yes, than wind farms, number right, one. Right. Um, number two, um, all species you know, are facing extinction challenges mm-hmm. from climate change, yeah. Number, you know, and I think wind turbines are gorgeous. Um, and I think that, you know, what's sometimes the resistance is change. And I, it goes back to what you were asking early on, like how is, you know, how are we going to save ourselves, you mm-hmm. know, as a species. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's really going to depend on people being able to embrace the change that we are going to need, mm-hmm. you know, to, to really save ourselves as a species. <laughs> are you hopeful about nuclear fusion? Is that something that uh, your team is looking at as well as a, as a possible alternative to all this crap? Um, I don't really know a lot about it now. And I, unless you're talking about like green hydrogen, I just, I don't know. Um, you know, a lot of that technology is really new and what I'll say here, um, and non-existent, Mm -hmm. you know, I'll say this, I think that we have a ton of technology at our disposal now, um, you know, in terms of, uh, renewable energy, um, in terms of how we're going to decarbonize our buildings and our home and how we're going to decarbonize our transportation sector. There are surely things that are that we're going to learn about like in 10 years, you know, mm-hmm. but um, I would rather focus on conversations about the technologies that we have now and available and figure out how we're going to scale these technologies and get 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 them um you know, get, get them installed, um, you know, get our wind farms built (laughs) and spend the bucks that we have available now to scale the technologies that we know that are going to get decarbonized. Um, and there's often these, these conversations, you know, at the state level that I always, I like scratch my head about because there's this kind of obsession with, look, you know, we've got to get to a hundred percent, um, renewable electric grid by 20, 
you know, 40, but you know, what are we going to do about that last 5%? And then I feel like all the policy conversations are stuck in this last 5%. And we're all saying, Hey, you know, we've got like to do a lot of work to reduce emissions. Yeah, <laughs> It's going to cost a lot of resources now to scale the technologies that we know work and, you know, get them adopted, you know, get those wind farms built, put those solar panels on our buildings, you know, you know, scale solar at the, the utility scale level, build those offshore wind farms, get 6 million homes decarbonized through uh, electric heating and cooling, you know, and, and that's going to cost a lot. Um, it's going to cost a lot less than all that, you know, if we don't do it um, and all of the costs that we're going to have to incur to um, have to pay for all the damage that climate change is going to cause. But we've got to focus on what we've got to do over the next five years to scale with what we know we can scale now to hit the targets in time. Um, and and hit the emission levels that we know that we need to hit so that we don't cause more damage right. um, and dig ourselves in an intractable hole that we're never going to be able to get out of because that's going to cost a lot more. What can uh, my listeners do to help out uh, BDC? Uh, is there anything that we can do to contribute to the effort? Well, um, it's, you know, yes, um, there are a lot of things that are happening. So if, you know, everybody can, um, there's a lot of incentives at the utility level to, you know, really think about, you know, if your heater or your water cooler goes out, you know, think about how, um, you know, if this is a time and there's the ability to be able to um, look into a heat pump or a clean heat alternative. Um, similarly, if you want to get more involved in politics, if your legislators at the state level need to hear that climate is one of your top priorities because it seems to be an issue that legislators always want to kind of put on the back burner and that they don't want to take action and real bold action in election year. And there are a lot of competitive races, you know, um, all throughout the state of New York, where right now um, it's really good to visit your legislator and tell them that you are a climate voter and you expect action on climate change. Yeah. There's also, you know, and there's also a lot of really great state processes um, through what's called the Climate Action Council, which is the climate law created to get stakeholder engagement um, from everyday people into weighing in with the state that you want action, you want fast action. You want the governor to stand up and make sure that her priorities move forward every year, that the legislature is going to hold strong and make that climate law just not some unfunded mandate that has no teeth, but that has real teeth that is moving the ball every year to get to where we need to go as a state to reduce our emissions and to help against um, worsening impacts and effects from climate change. 
Well, you guys are saving the world. That's for sure. The website is buildingdecarb.org, uh, and you can follow BDC on Twitter at buildingdecarb. Uh, I got links in the description under this episode at bobseska.com for you. Thank you so much, Lisa, for your time today. All the best to you and everything BDC is accomplishing. We desperately need you on that wall, and we're immensely grateful for all of the accomplishments so far. It was such a pleasure. Thank you, Bob. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I met a girl when I was just 17. She took me out for a dance once. Flower complexion and April dreams. We drank strawberry wine. There she goes. There she goes. Save on Cox Internet when you add Cox Mobile. And get fiber-powered internet at home and unbeatable 5G reliability on the go. So whether you're playing a game at home... Yes, cool! ...or attending one live... Goal! ...you can do more without spending more. Learn how to save at cox.com slash internet. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial cable. Cox Mobile runs on the network with unbeatable 5G reliability as measured by Ookla LLC in the U.S. to H2023. Results may vary, not an endorsement. Other restrictions apply.